Sup, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt and the very immense pleasure of sitting down with Leo Zhang, founder of Anicho Research. Big mining episode. Talked a lot about mining. Talked a lot about a lot of things. Dove into a lot of topics. Long, far-ranging, far-ranging, wide-ranging, excuse me, conversation with Leo. Uh, I think he's one of the most underrated people in this space, particularly as it uh, relates to the mining industry and the uh, depth and breadth of knowledge that he brings to the space. I feel very fortunate to have had him on the episode and uh, to call him a friend. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App, Cash App, Cash App. The easiest place to stack sets in the United States right now. You can stack sats and sets. Receive sats or sell sats if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 sats because you can make sats the standard within the app. We're not buying fractions of Bitcoins anymore. We're buying whole sats. On top of that, you can DCA in the sats. You can set it and forget it. You can buy daily, weekly, bi-weekly. Set it and forget it. Have the peace of mind knowing that you're stacking sats at all times. Uh, on top of this, remember, you can send sats off the app. So make sure you're sending the cold storage uh, when you have the opportunity, when you're comfortable with it, when you're uh, able to set up your own wallet and you have the peace of mind knowing that you can protect the seed uh, and your Bitcoin. This is a self-sovereign revolution. Take control of your Bitcoiners. Take control of your Bitcoin and then take control of Bitcoiners. Get a control of the narrative. I'm just kidding. Um, on top of that, they have Cash App Investing. Uh, if you want to stack slivers of stonks, that is now possible through the Cash App. If your favorite stonks are a little too expensive, if you're into that type of thing, you can buy as little as $1. And because all this is connected to your bank account, there's no four to five day waiting periods. You can start stacking sats or slivers of stonks today. Uh, I should note that Cash App Investing is subsidiary square member SIPC. As always, Make sure you use the code STACKINGSATS. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. When you download the app, you're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. It's Owls Lacrosse. Enjoy this episode, freaks. I know I certainly did. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. One. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here. It's a fall night now. We're in the fall. It's cooling down. The sun's setting behind me. I've got a glass of whiskey and a beer in front of me, and I'm sitting across from Leo Zhang, founder of Anichia Research. I just pronounced it wrong again. It's uh, Anicha. Anicha. Yeah. Anicha. That's fine. Um, I've heard many uh, versions of this word. Yeah, I've only read it before. It's one of those things where I've only read it. So Nietzsche Research. Uh, you are somebody who I am... I consider myself lucky to know you, the conversations we've had, because you, I think, have one of the greatest minds when it comes to understanding the mining industry and the way 
that uh, hash power works specifically uh, we have you here tonight to go over your first two parts of the series that you've been writing uh, with your intern Karthik Venkatesh, uh, The Alchemy of Hash Power. But before we dive into that, let's get to know a little bit more about you. How the hell did you get uh, to develop a mind that understands the mining industry better than uh, I believe anybody I've encountered in this space? What, what brought you to Bitcoin and trying to understand mining more specifically? Yeah, uh, so I think the first time I started to uh, start learning about Bitcoin, I mean, I heard about I heard about this thing in, in 2012. Uh, actually, I was an intern at Square Capital at that time. Um, that was even before they made an investment into Bitmain, uh, Square Capital Beijing. Um, so I heard about this thing and I was like, what what what, what the shit is this? <laughs> and it just didn't really, um, it didn't even occur to me what, what it was uh, back then, but I also had a very tiny, uh, imagination uh, as a sophomore in college. Um, so it was, it was not until 2014, I actually took a class uh, with Myron Scholes, the, 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 the Scholes of Black Scholes um, model, but uh, he didn't talk about options at all. At that time, his interest was very much focused on digital money. And so that course sort of started expanding my, uh, that, that helped me start to dig into this and, and, understand what what it what it is um at that time i, I already took a full-time job at morgan stanley doing uh, equity derivatives um so so the the two years afterwards were pretty much tied down but um even the moment i started the wall street job i i became very disenchanted uh and i was like oh shit i made a huge mistake but <laughs> 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 but you know like like most um kids who are uh the international kids i i had it's it's much harder for me to uh, to to change jobs at that time because of H1B visa, and I you know I stayed and uh, uh, but during that time I I pretty much spent all my my free time um, looking into you know Bitcoin and start attending meetups in uh, New York, uh, start to meet uh, people who share a similar interest, and that was I think around 2015 2016. There it was it's starting to 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 grow. Uh, it's starting to become more mainstream, even among the meetup communities. So I met um, Chris, who's uh, the founder of Iterative, and our interests were pretty pretty aligned. And um, so, yeah, I decided to join them full time. So I became the first employee of Iterative um, in 2017. And uh, during my my time there, I uh, very specifically focused on mining. Um, it was. It was, it was it was actually easier because uh, I, I'm from Sichuan. I was born and raised there. I spent the first 19 years of my life in Sichuan. Um, I didn't I didn't know Sichuan was a big mining uh, hub until uh, I joined Iterative and started working there. Um, and I started building connections uh, 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 back in home. And I realized, oh shit, all these big miners are from the same general neighborhood. So yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was fun. That was fun. Um, so between 2017, 20, uh, 2020, um, my primary focus was on try to understand uh, what's going on in the mining landscape and uh, what, who are the key players, try to be friends with them, uh, try to understand their problems, try to understand uh, our problems, and uh, um, just trying to piece all these things together. Uh, and it was very obvious to me that that industry, although it has a lot of money in it, and it, it's it's a billion-dollar industry, but and with a lot of very 
uh, highly specialized vectors. But at the same time, the information is so fragmented, right? It's so broken. It's you have all these uh, individual group chats that with people with um, much more information than the rest of the market. And for new entrants or people who are not core to uh, the friend list of the manufacturers, it's very difficult to get access to uh, machines at a reasonable price or just understand what kind of games that manufacturers or uh, secondhand uh, brokers play. Or even these data, data center facilities, there are tons of uh, false advertisements on their all-in costs, right? Um, I'm sure you've uh, seen some of those. Um, so, so I feel there's a lot work to be done on educating uh, people about hash power industry because after all, this is the very foundation of this whole uh, ecosystem, right? Now, even even though there are a lot more of these uh, shit coins that's built on uh, proof of stake of each other's uh, that that's built on you know staking each other, uh, that creates this self-referential scaffolding. But underlying all of this is still Bitcoin's proof of work. Um, I think in order for this ecosystem to grow in a very healthy fashion, especially now that um, block rewards, the percentage of block rewards uh, uh, as, you know, as total of mining revenue is decreasing compared to the fees. And it's only going to, that trend is only going to continue as more having uh, happens. Um, we're going to see a lot more unpredictable behaviors, unpredictable market behaviors um, that that's a result of mining revenue becomes uh, harder to predict. So, so yeah, you know, um, in, in, in short, I think there's a lot of work to be done in helping uh, miners manage risk, help min miners think, think through how to plan their cash flow, um, either in, in the form of introducing more financial instruments or just uh, broaden their imagination and not just think about how to, how to keep the expenses done. Uh, because that there's only so much you can do to to uh, to suppress your expense, right? Um, and also for family offices, uh, big uh, traditional investors who are looking to invest in space, uh, help them understand. Okay, what the fuck is going on with all these things? Wait, is cursing okay on this podcast? Cursing is per cursing <laughs> okay, is perfectly sorry. fine. Uh, Sometimes it curse. <laughs> anyway, so 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 yeah, so so I I left um, iterative in. April, May to start Anitra Research with uh, with a very specific focus on the hash power industry, uh, as well as all the derivatives that's going to happen um, that helps this industry becomes more of a uh, mature capital markets. Yeah, and I think one thing uh, has become abundantly clear is uh, up to this point in uh, Bitcoin's existence is the opaqueness of the mining industry is getting better over time. And it's one thing I love about your the Alchemy of Hash Power series, at least part one, is you're trying to define the different stakeholders across the value chain of the mining industry, how they interact, how each business is uh, thinking about what they're doing, particularly in relation to the other stakeholders in the mining industry uh, and what they're doing at any given point in time. So I think uh, just to help educate the freaks, that's identify the stakeholders in the hash power industry, how they operate, how they interact and, and how they're thinking of each other. Um, I know that's a, a big, big ask, but I think it, uh, be some valuable information. Yeah. And also these groups are constantly changing, right? Um, a lot of times you see, uh, in the past, it's, it's all the same group of people. It's the same group of people that's, that own the facility. It's the, 
uh, same group of people that buys manufacturer that even invest in the equity of the uh, of the uh, popular manufacturers and it's the same group of people that are selling their hash free through cloud mining platforms uh, or even building their uh, mining pools um <clears throat> i mean so so uh, a few months ago uh, something that made the headline was this uh, mysterious Chinese mining pool called Lubian. Uh, it came out of nowhere with tons of hash rate and it just sort of fade away from people's memory. But it was just a classic example of um, when miners own too much hash rate to start thinking about, okay, how do we make more money, more money from this? Um, let's make the pool public. So tons of examples of this. But now the industry has gotten really, really big and uh, it forces people to start uh, specializing in specific vectors. Uh, it's very difficult for you to own the entire uh, uh, value chain. I mean, we, we saw what happened to Bitmain. They, they tried to become, well, Bitmain had a lot of problems. They still have a lot of problems, right? But I think um, a big reason that 2018 was so difficult for them uh, was that they tried to they tried to do too much, right? They want to own cryptocurrency. They want to own their own version of cryptocurrency. Uh, sorry, I, I, I mean Bitcoin. Um, they try to produce be a be a, a IC manufacturers. They try to build AI chips. They try to do too much. They try to um, they stretched very thin on every single uh, aspect, and and it's clear with their ambition uh, with Matrix Port that they realize okay, financializing financializing. Uh, hash power is, is the direction. So they're just doing, doing too many things. And I think it's very, very difficult for uh, anyone to show up to do that. Uh, and I mean, obviously, Bitmain has been around for quite some time relative to uh, Bitcoin mining's uh, history. But today, someone show up uh, with zero involvement in mining before wants to own a significant chunk of the value chain. I think it's very, very hard. Yeah. And so first mover advantage, particularly from the hardware side, seems to be a big advantage. Yeah, but I mean, Bitmain had uh, some internal problems that that <laughs> that's uh, causing them some trouble, um, which is which is I don't want to say it's a shame. Well, it's a shame for them, right? They, they could have done so much better. They could have uh, really dominated the industry. But I guess it's karma. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've described I've described Bitmain as the uh, the Icarus of, of early day Bitcoin, not even Bitcoin mining alone, just Bitcoin in general, the opportunity that they had. Yeah. Yeah. Jihan specifically, I think. Yeah. Ah, let his ego get in the way. Oh, well. Um, oh, well, right. But now we have micro BT and as a micro BT customer, I got to say their their hardware is is exceptional like we've we've had uh m20s's running in oil fields for almost exactly a year now we haven't had one failure had to replace a couple fans that's about it and uh i really like that there is a micro bt uh competing against bitmain uh, right now because it did seem at one point 2017 2018 that Bitmain was the only game in town and, and the network was sort of beholden to their their corporate uh, cohesion, if you will. Yeah, I, I definitely think MicroBT is very impressive because um, it's a company founded by uh, engineers, not business people. I don't even know if Jihan's a business person. Well, he's definitely a, bit, a very sharp businessman, but I don't. I think he's more of an idealist who, who's trying to impose his ideal to the uh, Bitcoin world. But um, but the founder, the founding team of MicroBT are just, they, they came from uh, integrated circuit design. They, they came from a long history of, of that. Um, 
but at the same time, they're not the most uh, uh, calculating business person. If you, I'm sure you interact with the, the team, they're very honest, which which is what I like about them. But at the same time, they are not quite equipped to compete with uh, Jihan and uh, Miku Jan on, on that aspect. <laughs> um, but I think what's happening to Bitmain right now give them a lot of space to to grow, which I think is a really good thing. Um, but in the meantime, we still need to recognize that their market share is still um, nowhere near catching up to, to Bitmain's. Yeah. Well, how long do you think that lasts for considering the uh, failure rate of some of the shipments of S17s, S19s that have been hitting the market recently? I don't know if S19 is hitting the market at all. <laughs> well, actually, some some um, large miners have received the shipments, but I, I know generally the rest of the market hasn't uh, really received the shipment without, and, and also they mm -hmm. don't know uh, when when they will receive. Um, I think that's that that largely depends on when, how 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 soon and how how clean uh, Bitmain is going to resolve the 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 faction war. Um, I mean, obviously, the sooner I think that gets—I I don't think it's—it's going to get resolved in to the fullest extent. I think the other side is always going to fight back as long as uh, he's still alive. Um, but <laughs> what, what is the situation? Who's trying? So it's split between Jihan and McShree, and the way I understand it, one has controlled the chip production the other has controlled the manufacturing of the hardware putting it all together i don't even know anymore man I, they have yeah. so many um they, they have so many parent companies i have so many sub uh these little companies in local uh areas it's, it's very hard to keep track of who's owning what yeah i think it's uh yeah i think it's the, the it's the it's hard to predict uh, the outcome of these things because it involves so many other factors um they're own social connections and all that stuff. I, I think it's the best just to sit back and watch the drama and don't order Bitmain um, product anytime until it's resolved. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the delays are real from what I hear. Uh, again, we're happy we're working with MicroBT, but let's stop talking about two particular manufacturers within this space and just talk about the value chain in general, uh, like how miners should view the timing of their purchases of machines what type of machine should they purchase whether it be uh the the newest models or older generation models how they interact with mining pools what is the economic relationship between miners and the pools that they interact with uh how does how does this all blend together yeah, so uh, you you raise a very good point about timing. I think it's it's uh, obviously it's very difficult to predict. Um, am I buying the machines at the peak or am I buying the machine at a at a, at a discount? Um, I think the one reason that makes the mining industry so difficult and at the same time it's so uh, opaque and so very difficult to to establish a a theoretical framework for for the instruments in this space is that the pricing is extremely hard, right? Um, so inherently, mining a uh, mining equipment is a phys is an option in physical format, right? <laughs> and it's a very complex option. It, it has three uh, basically independent variables. One is the global hash rate, and the second is uh, Bitcoin price. Needless to say, uh, and the other is fee. So fee is still negligible. So um, 
it's it's growing, right? It's it's becoming you know, 10, 15 percent of your total mining revenue, uh, but it's 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 almost impossible to predict. Okay, over the next twelve months or eighteen months, which is uh, the average duration of how long I'm going to expect these machines to run smoothly, um, what what is going to happen to to uh, these two variables and uh, and also to my money revenue. So there there's all, the only thing you can control is at what price you're purchasing these machines for and um, and and uh, what, what is the oil and electricity price that you're going to pay. Um, so there's not much you can do about you know predicting mining revenue. Um, so yeah, uh, some miners uh, are starting to use a slightly more sophisticated financial instruments uh, such as collateralized lending. Some some people are selling futures. Um, I think the the most recent Cambridge uh, the benchmark study shows that the, I don't remember the number exactly, but around 12 to 14 percent I think of miners are starting to to use some type of hedging instruments, um, and I think it's it's a it's a trend that's been growing uh, especially since 2018 2019 because um, if you think about it a, a mining operation is not just a data center operator they're not just a hard asset owner they're also liquid asset owners right you you, you end up with all these coins what, what are you going to do about it you can obviously the easiest solution is to sell everything every day but uh, you're going to have down days and and you don't know how long they're going to last um, and you obviously miss a lot of upside um, so i think miners are getting more sophisticated when it comes to trading when it comes to risk management but still i think that part is uh, basically blank um, and and a big reason is that every single miner situation is very different. It's very specific. Uh, a miner based in upstate New York has drastically different conditions from the miners in Texas, from the miner in Kazakhstan, from miners in Sichuan. Very very different. Um, so in order to establish a framework for risk management when it comes to mining, we we'll have to uh, focus on variables that's global. Right, price and uh, uh, and hash rate. So that that's also part of my intent to um, to write these papers to find some common ground in these variables, things that that's uh, uh, relevant for every single miner. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about too. There's the, the list of locations you just mentioned: Kazakhstan, China, uh, New York, Texas. You throw in Russia in there. Iran, Venezuela, you have these enemies, if you will, uh, the geopolitical stage, at least some of them uh, working. Well, actually, I want to say enemies because I believe the individual miners that are mining Bitcoin are probably citizens like you and I who, who really would like the politicians to get out of the way of us cooperating. But you have competing jurisdictions, I guess we'll say, um, participating in this. Uh, this global race to mine Bitcoin and everybody's trying to access the same supply chains and obviously information between the individual miners across the world is not going to be, uh, there's going to be some information that some miners have that others don't. And it's just a trying to time the market and make your business as efficient as possible. It's just like crazy to think of, a true global race to mine Bitcoin. It's like a space race almost. Uh, but for this digital currency that's driven us all to do weird things. 
Yeah, and the funny thing is a lot of the big miners who got very rich uh, early on, uh, these people are not necessarily believers of, of, of you know, Bitcoin's ethos and, and not necessarily people who really understand this, right? They just see it as a, as a great way to, to get rich, just sort of like, you know, drilling oil during the black gold frenzy. Um, but now it's changing. That, that's, that's, that's definitely the case because the margin is becoming thinner and thinner for everybody. Um, and especially these days, you know, mining Bitcoin is hard, right? <laughs> um, and, and it looks like difficulty is only going uh, higher, at least for foreseeable uh, time period. Um, so in my last paper, I actually tried to categorize the cycles of Bitcoin mining into four uh, archetypical phases. Um, and it's it's very it's very intuitive. It's very straightforward to understand. But um, I think it really has 16 phases. But that that that's a little bit too hard to to describe. Um, but uh, uh. maybe at some point I'm going to uh, write it down. But um, but I think the, these are I think when miners <laughs> yeah I think when miners starts uh, when starts making deployment decisions that these are. Uh, the first thing is to figure out, okay, what what stage uh, are we in, uh, and and how long is it going to take to transition to the next phase, um, and uh, yeah, do I have the right resources to protect myself in this uh, fa current phase in in the transition? Yeah, no, it's uh, you threw you threw me off there at the sixteenth phase. I was uh, I thought the four phases alone were pretty comprehensive and. It, it no, but it, and that's the other thing about mining too, which got to be scary, uh, which is scary if somebody's in the mining industry and, and thinking and actively building containers to plug in at some point. You never know when somebody else is either unplugging or plugging hardware in anywhere around the world, and that it's always it always feels like a race. Like hey, I've got to time the purchase of, of the the these, this hardware. And make sure I get it delivered and plugged in in a timely manner, um, because especially this summer, I think a lot of people were expecting hash rate to either level off or, or decrease a little bit, and that does not seem to be the case. Yeah, I think what's fascinating about this uh, and what's different about this type of commodity, right, is that it's uh, it's digital. What that's that's uh, it, it sounds simple, but it it, it goes a little a lot more profound than that. Uh, it's it's because it's digital commodity and it's a global commodity, so its definition of distance is different, right? It doesn't really have the kind of it's not really constrained by a physical distance. So when you have when you trade physical commodities such as you're buying selling corn and your price actions are immediately reflected in your local market and that slowly ripples out to uh, to the rest of the the states or even if you're big big enough for the rest of the country, and it's going to take so much effort for your action here to influence the corn market in China. But Bitcoin is different, right? You plug in your machine, you plug in your tiny little S9 and it starts to influence every single person who's involved in this market. So because of that distance has, the definition of distance has changed. The, the way that we have to think about this is, is also going to be very different. Yeah. And so how, also, another thing I'm curious to get your opinion on is how does this evolve over time as the ASICs become more efficient, more commodified, their life cycles get extended? Uh, it throws another wrench in the whole thing. Yeah, so I think in 
in theory, it's going to, I, I, I think the growth, is, uh, the growth rate is going to slow down, right? Because now it's getting more and more expensive to tape out, to even get your hands on uh, the latest and greatest uh, tech nodes. Um, so, I mean, five, five nanometer doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> and seven, the process for seven nanometer is not perfect. Um, so, so there is, there, there, unlike back in the days when everyone's just using uh, not the most advanced tech nodes, um, you can get plenty of, it's very easy to, to, to get wafer allocations at the foundries, but now you have to compete with Apple, you have to compete with Qualcomm, you have to compete with Huawei. Um, you have to basically compete with the most important and the wealthiest and, uh, the companies in uh, that that's trying to build uh, um, the digital civilization in other arena. So I think that process is going to drastically slow down unless for some reason, Bitcoin manufacturers became one of the most powerful and richest com uh, companies in the world. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think that changes a lot of things for, but um, anyways, uh, before going too far, um, I think the process of the competition is going to slow down and the late, the life cycle of the latest machines are going to get extended. So the most important thing uh, in practice is how you maintain these machines. Um, how do you keep them running longer after uh, two, even three years, right? Because in the past, you expect your machines to expire after 18 months, and by that time, you already made plenty of money and you can just sell them for scrap metal. But now, uh, you have to run them for three years or even longer. Um, how now the emphasis, the emphasized shift to um, the technicians, whether your technicians are, are experienced enough to, to take good care of them, whether the conditions at your facility is, is, is not too dusty, the temperature is, is, uh, is friendly to, to these ASICs, uh, all these other factors become um, more important compared to be before. Yeah, the things that you have to take into consideration, do I overclock, underclock, immerse, air cool, can I get it? Can I get into the firmware and make some uh, tweaks there? It's crazy. These boxes are, uh, yeah, like you said, they're physical options on uh, potential future Bitcoin. And if you mess up that box, that option basically gets set on fire. <laughs> you can't claim it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's... Uh, so that's one thing we've been focused on is uptime and then making sure our our boxes are running as efficient as possible and it's it's uh it's a fun problem to attempt to solve i can say i can say that for sure and i'm not the one working on it particularly our we have very smart people on our team working on it that think about this problem all day every day yeah and and there are a lot to to think about right uh, i i think the uh, in the past couple of years, mining has been a, a pretty easy job for, for, for people who got in early, people who uh, got in with capital, uh, because you just plug in and, and you start printing, uh, sorry, not printing money, but you start, your, your revenue is, is healthy enough. Um, now it's different. It's very different. The competition is a lot more fierce and these machines are becoming a little bit more uh, specific. Their requirements become more specific. So you, people start to tailor uh, the environment of in, within the data center to to make it more uh, friendly to uh, to these ASICs. In, uh, unlike in the past, where you just have generic uh, these shelves that you put these shoe boxes on and, and do whatever uh, you want. Um, 
so I think as the the arms race of uh, efficiency of the chips start to slow down, the competition will start to shift towards the outside, right? The outside of of the of these shoeboxes. There's going to be more uh, better monitoring software. There's going to be more uh, more efforts that put into making sure the data center works as a whole. You're turning the entire data center into a miner. Um, there'll be more focus on how do you what kind of uh, what kind of you know financial games that you can play with these uh, with these coins that you mine. So I think that that sort of as the the speed of uh, the head of the the train slows down, uh, the focus is going to ripple out and start to focus on the the shell. Yeah, the efficiency, the opex, like how. That's, I mean, in being in oil fields, that's one thing we have to worry about is being able to monitor and control these things remotely. So building out the SCADA systems that can do that and then that can interact with individual miners within the container that that need attention. Uh, again, it's a, it's a crazy, fun problem to work on, and there's so much room to, to innovate in this space alone. Uh, again, particularly when you take into consideration the different parts of the world that this industry is touching and the efficiency that's that's the thing that blows my mind too is bitcoin mining is making efficiencies outside of bitcoin right like in the energy sector particularly which is one of i often wonder like does satoshi understand the positive externalities that would uh, emanate from his decision to use uh proof of work with a difficulty adjustment like did he did he foresee it progressing to ASICs? Obviously, it was CPU to start. Did he understand what he unleashed and the the externalities it would it would cause? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, so his last message was uh, was 2013, right? Assuming uh, assuming he was still active around 2013, I think it, it's definitely starting to. Uh, go towards that general direction, but back in 2010 uh, or or even before he 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 published the white paper. I think it's it's a little bit difficult to imagine uh, it, that going that direction. I mean, it, some of his original quotes, right, such as um, uh, one vote per one CPU um, or stuff like he uh, something that he said about the process going to be very similar to gold production. Um, that the eventually the price is going to converge to cost of production uh, and 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 stay as equilibrium there. Right now we know it's 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 not a case. The pri the price is far from a passive reflection of cost of production. I think it's it's not it's not that he lacked imagination or or obviously we know he has ton too much imagination. Um, but but it's it's very difficult to see how market behaviors built upon this right as especially when. When the volume grows, I think it creates a lot of unexpected behavior, um, especially with hardware. I, it, it really has a lot to do with with the if the incentive is fully aligned and aggregated. Uh, a, a while ago, I think a little more than a year ago, I read this uh, paper that really changed my uh, perspective on things. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Um, I don't remember the exact title, but but it's it's something uh, something like the the rise of um, uh, application specific uh, integrated circuits are is inevitable. I, I don't remember the title. I'm sorry. I apologize. But um, it talks about the the. It, it's more focused on on you know those AI ASICs and uh, and and uh, and how like these 
big companies have have they are able to organize and aggregate the incentive to produce a much better and more efficient chips and that uh, general computing is just a, a transitional phase yeah stepping stone yeah. it makes sense right it seems inevitable that asics are going to push the, the limits of computing and and what we can do probably lead us to things that we can't even imagine we could do at the current moment and it's it's crazy how fast it happened right and and with bitcoin particularly uh you have this token creating this incentive to build out this this infrastructure physical infrastructure again we're talking about physical options on potential future bitcoin uh, in the form of bitcoin miners and uh that's one thing and one theory that i've had is, is that when you talk about the shit coins and proof of stake specifically i think they severely underestimate the amount of investment and capital outlay that has been uh, deployed for bitcoin mining infrastructure specifically whether it be the miners the uh, power generation infrastructure that's been created to to be able to uh, move power and voltage through the miners and uh, and beyond mining like hardware wallets and full nodes and other things and it's just crazy to see this this open source software has incited us to, to go build uh crazy infrastructure in the physical world that could help it out from an energy perspective it could help level out the grids and make us as efficient as possible and i think people discount that severely uh they think of bitcoin as a software revolution but it's also a hardware revolution at the end of the day yeah, and I think uh, at the risk of go, being sound a little bit um, uh, too sci-fi, uh, I think it's it's a it's a really powerful communication tool, right? It's it's a it reflects our collective consensus, and that collective consensus in turn uh, shapes our physical reality. Um, like like you said, you know, the billions of investments are poured into uh, into hardware manufacturing uh, and and a lot of uh, uh, local data centers are being repurposed and restructured. It changes the energy industry, right? It's it's being around much longer, and it's something that's tangible that we can touch. Um, but that's being shaped by this thing that doesn't really exist, other than uh, we collectively agree that it exists, and 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 that is being held together by our ability to collectively agree, continue to collectively agree that it exists and it has value and the rest of the physical reality should be shaped according to uh, this this thing that we imagine together so so it's a it's a it's a communication tool in the sense that it it it's within uh, it's a powerful neural link right <laughs> if, if uh, yeah no, yeah, binds us all together. I mean, at the end of the day, you, pri private keys do give you the access to uh, the UTXOs. So it's like Bitcoiners get freaked out by the collective delusion description of Bitcoin because they like to think it's not really a collective delusion. Bitcoin has certain properties that make it uh, make it useful and give it utility. Um, but it is like we have all decided that, hey, this uh, this protocol, this open source messaging protocol you just described is something that we want to use and collectively we're going to decide to use this. And again, it's merging that that digital uh, objective truth in the digital world, what's going on within the Bitcoin ledger with the physical world, which is crazy. And despite 
the many failures that have happened in the first 11 years and so many months of Bitcoin's existence, people keep pouring capital into it. So one thing you were uh, alluding to earlier is like, hey, maybe one day, uh, potentially, probably not likely anytime soon, Bitcoin miners become, uh, or Bitcoin, excuse me, Bitcoin mining hardware manufacturers become uh, powerful enough that they can dictate and demand more space on these foundry floors. However, uh, as you pointed out in uh, part two of your series, that even these manufacturers mistimed the market, and, and Bitmain did that in 2018 when they expected uh, a huge demand for machines and they, they overproduced and that, that led to an inefficiency that led to some deals for some miners around the world. Yeah. I think there's, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, just starting from the last point, I think it, it's, it's hard to make these kind of business, uh, business, uh, predictions. Um, it's because a large corporate tend to think, especially when there are too many people involved, they, they like to think statically, right? They like to thinking snapshots. Um, okay, this is today, this is yesterday, and, and this is likely going to be tomorrow. But for, yeah, for something like this, right, you have to uh, think about how to evolve, especially in such early, early days and, and things in this industry happen so fast. Like today you can have a new vegetable that pop up and lock in 400 million tomorrow it's gone. <laughs> so, uh, so, so rug pull. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think one thing that's, that's clear is that, um, there's some aspect of the traditional way of organizing a corporation of collectively doing things that that's, that's not quite efficient anymore. That, that doesn't, the way that it self adjusts takes too long for this industry. Um, and, and so, so what is the best way to organize? Uh, I think it, it's going to be a little different. I don't know what it's going to look like. And, and, and I think it's too early to subscribe to the, uh, everything's going to be a DAO. Um, but I think, I think somewhere in, somewhere in between is, is probably going to be where we, uh, land. But again, that's going to change, uh, constantly as well. And so how do you think it? It would affect the decisions of, of large mining operators. Are you saying it would sort of curb impulsive decisions or? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a start, I think. <laughs> um, and so in the past, the successful miners have been uh, doing their best to to suppress the expenses, right? Um, you want to make sure you're, you're, you're you want to make sure you're definitely you have compared all the options. And this is the cheapest and best data center that you're going to get and these are the people that you're going to work with um and you you absolutely cannot get uh these machines at a cheaper price these are the factors that you can uh that you think you can control and and uh um but i think for large operations go, going forward uh, once you reach a bottleneck uh when it comes to these things you have to manage another aspect which is your revenue right um so now it's most people they can't control it. They can't control uh, the, how, what things are. Uh, what what's my mining revenue today versus tomorrow, and how that's going to change because, because these are external. But what you can do is you can exchange part of that for uh, a different time. Right? You can sell futures. You can, but that's part of the hedge. That's that's not a that's not a definitive. That's not a full hedge. But it's a, it's already a lot better than. Uh, what people were doing before. I think in the future, 
um, for large mining operations that take external investors' money, unless it's funded by one single crazy rich guy who has a lot of money um, and, and has balls of steel, uh, I think most of these operations, they have to be much more careful. They, they want to try to suppress the volatility. Um, and the only way to do that is to sell your current hash rate, uh, your future hash rate for a current uh, profit. So I think the logic for, for that kind of market to develop is, is, is very intuitive. Um, and we've seen very primitive format of that type of instrument. Um, you know, NiceHash was the first example. Uh, well, there are some versions of NiceHash before NiceHash, but they're not important. Um, we're seeing companies like uh, OTC does, such as Bitwuda um, or GSR. Some uh, a lot of the, the Chinese desk have started to you know broker these kind of uh, uh, hash rate issuance deals. FTX is trying to mirror the difficulty growth, but it's it's a very uh, it's a very half-assed attempt. Um, but yeah, they seem pretty sp spread thin over there at FTX. Yeah, I don't think they really care about this. And and I mean, why would they? They have other places that they can make more, much more money. Um, so so I think these things uh, we're going to see a lot more of these kind of deals. We're going we're going to see a lot more of this type of exchange uh, because ultimately these type of financial instruments are uh, these kind of interactions are what uh, exchanges the value across a different time and space. All right, so um, I think what is going to likely going to happen in the future is we're going to see more uh, variations of these kind of deals until, oh shit, uh, we need a public benchmark. I, I don't think it's going to be abrupt, uh, a zero to one process, but a gradual um, process of convergence. Yeah, and so let's jump into the mechanics of how these hedges would work. And so one of the hedges would be like a hash rate forwards contract where you raise cash by selling future hash rate to a counterparty, probably a family office looking to get exposure to Bitcoin in some capacity. And so let's describe the, uh, the risk that takes off the table for the miner, the risk that brings on the balance sheet for the counterparty and why a miner would want to uh, engage in this type of hedging strategy. Yeah, so I think this is a dynamic process. Um, so let's let's just think hypothetically. Uh, you know, someone like MicroStrategy, right, who wants to put a large position on, and and uh, so from the story that 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 we read, it seems like they incurred a lot of slippage just from just participating directly in the market. I think in the future, it's it's foreseeable that more and more uh, larger companies or funds are going to put on uh, Bitcoin positions, and they probably uh, would do it in. Uh, uh, a smarter way um and i don't get me wrong i think what microstrategy did was great for the rest of us <laughs> but anyways okay. that's that's beside the point uh, and arguably they they probably wouldn't be able to get the exposure they wanted at the time they wanted it given the maturation of the the derivatives market correct yeah that's fair yeah something like that also doesn't exist yet um but anyways so so uh so this kind of deal is, is already pretty pretty uh, pretty common among the the shit coins that 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 just launched. You know, like for instance, uh, an early investor who wants to get buttloads of um, a handshake, and and it's impossible to to purchase that kind of stuff on OTC or exchanges. So the only way for you to do it is to find a bunch of FPGA 
uh, and, and just buy all from, from those guys, right? You buy their hash rate. Um, in the early days of Grin Mining is also, we saw a lot of those those uh, VCs, they, they thought that's going to be the, uh, the next hot shit. Um, and there's no way to buy that, right? So the only way to do it is to uh, buy a bunch of GPUs, but the VCs don't know how to run GPUs. So they, they, they either invest in uh, some of these mining SPVs that go out there and source the cards for them, but everyone lost money in this process. That's, but that's also besides the point. <laughs> but uh, the, 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 the way that this kind of a, uh, thing works ideally, ideally, is that the miner uh, sells just enough hash rate to make sure that his um, depreciation on the machines, labor costs, as well as the electricity payment for, let's say, the next one to three months uh, is covered. So, and this, is, this could be just purely for reporting purposes, uh, purely for investor communication. Um, so he, he charges, well, let's say the, the all-in cost is five cents, right? All-in cost, including depreciation. And he sells it for um, six cents. So, so that profit is captured right away. But for, for investors who are funds who are looking to purchase this, um, it's going to they, they're going to compare, okay, what what is the cost of production at six cents versus purchasing on the open market for uh, three months? And obviously, you can't just do a snapshot calculation. That's stupid. Uh, you want to take into potential volatility of the coin price, uh, potential volatility of um, of the difficulty growth, everything together, right? And so, let's say hypothetically, um, the current market price of Bitcoin is, and I'm. Um, totally making this up without looking at this, the, the uh, market data is uh, nine cents per kilowatt hour audience for the next. And, and the, so this three cent cushion is sort of the, the volatility cushion for the investor. And an investor thinks, okay, uh, we're comfortable with that kind of uh, volatility and, and three cent is, is going to be enough of a cushion. So then, all right, then we have a deal. Um, but obviously a lot of things then can go wrong in this, in this process. And, uh, um, but it can also be a very much a win-win situation. The miner makes sure that uh, he can sleep at night um, and the, the next three months of expenses are fully covered. And on the other, on the, on the uh, other side, the, the fund who are purchasing this uh, instrument is getting uh, and discount a discounted BTC, right? They 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 get uh, they're profitable. They have unrealized gain almost right away the moment they purchase this instrument. But the volatility is uh, is is a huge problem. And how do we model this volatility? How do we think about this volatility? How do we price this volatility? Uh, that's going to be my focus. Mm. And I mean, and that's a question that's been bugging me as well as I'm sure many other. Bitcoiners, like how does the volatility evolve as confidence in Bitcoin rises? All right, like at, at, like, and that's that's actually one thing in part two that really stuck out to me that you wrote is, I forget who you quoted, but uh, it's basically like a, the market has amnesia type quote. Like people have short memories, and so I've I've had this thesis that at some point, like the cycle of of Bitcoin, ten xing then falling eighty percent consolidating for a couple of years and 10 xing falling 80 percent consolidating will hit ahead at some point and the downward volatility specifically won't be as abrupt but it seems like you uh you think this cycle is going to continue uh, at least for the foreseeable future 
Yeah, I think this is very difficult to predict because um, on, on uh, and just before before I go into that, the the quote um, the about the shortness of uh, financial memory is by um, this economist. He's uh, he he's got the book in his hand. Yeah, he he he, <laughs> he wrote um, this book called the the anatomy of power anatomy of power and and so so my blog is called the anatomy of hash power it's it's you know drew inspiration from uh from this guy uh you know he, he wrote a lot of things about uh, the nature of power um and 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 a lot of just corporate theory stuff but anyway that that's a that's a digression i'm sorry um uh so, we love digressions here what was the original question that you asked so about the the volatility cycles like do they continue um if there is a let's say a tipping point of acceptance of bitcoin globally does the the volatility cycle change in your mind i mean oil has been around for a long time has is, is you know it has its volatility <laughs> been suppressed I, I don't know man the, the, i think the the thing about commodity is that it's driven by supply and demand right but um, the thing about this type of commodity, especially once it's freed from its physical constraints, uh, is that its supply and demand is driven by expectation of the future. And the the annoying thing about predicting Bitcoin price, uh, sorry, the, the expectation of Bitcoin, is that it has so many different narratives that you can uh, draw inspirations from, right? unlike some other uh, physical commodities where its primary purpose is to get consumed. So you can you can sort of you can you can you can calculate roughly how much oil is going to con consume according to the performance of uh, you know airlines and, and and the automobile industry and and you, you can there there are uh, parameters that you can use to to um, uh, to figure out the transition of 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 the state. And oh shit, this is actually a hidden Markov chain. Uh, but that's um, that's beside the point. Um, you hit a what? A hidden mark of uh, hit a hidden mark of chain. Um, uh -huh. uh, I'm sorry, I lost myself there. Um, but yes, for Bitcoin, I think the because the narrative hasn't been fully established yet, and it's mostly driven by narratives. But in, and its its consumption model hasn't been uh, fully established yet, right? It doesn't have its equivalent of uh, automobile. It doesn't have its um, equivalent of the jet filled, uh, uh, sorry, the airline industry. So you can't really calculate the demand for this shit uh, according to uh, how it's been consumed or how it's likely going to be consumed. You can only try to figure out by, okay, how the narrative is changing and how that's going to shift the expectation for the future. So then you have a lot of these personality public personalities saying random stuff um and <laughs> uh and and that sort of becomes the the gravitational pull for expectation right you, th there are people who are can single-handedly create a new story and 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 um grasp a lot of people's attention i think that's what uh, and going back to something that we discussed earlier about um the digital commodity doesn't have physical constraints right it's collectively imagined its volatility is inherent right it's it's part of uh this collective it's part of the narrative right? yeah it, yeah and it's yeah it's uh it's crazy to think of and, and that's 
that would scare some people though that it's narrative driven and not driven by the properties of the underlying commodity right and uh i I guess you were explaining like the oil oil has the automobile and the airline industry what what would equate to that the the bitcoin industry in your mind potentially in the future like uh, apps being run on lightning side chains stuff like that yeah now we're getting to something interesting i think uh not 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 saying that what we discussed earlier is not interesting um but i i think this is this is a very critical uh question for the industry to figure out and, and i think and i think it's being actively done at the moment um first of all i think it's going to be the digital it's going to be digital native in it's it, in a lot of the, the the things that made 2016 so 2017 so stupid was uh, this uh, ignorant connection being made between blockchain and uh, physical things like pork or just things supply chain management. yeah there's a gap right there's a gap that and that gap is very very obvious <laughs> so I think in order for Bitcoin to become a seamless uh, digital commodity it has to support digital native goods. And these are things, um, and I'm just throwing out examples without uh, having thought it through, um, you know, API calls or attention, right? Um, and I think there's this shitcoin called basic attention token, uh, which I have to admit, I've been paying attention to it and I was very excited about it in 2017. Um, I mean, it's the implementation path is all wrong, but I think the core idea is, is still valuable, I think. Um, I think more and more people are starting to realize that, okay, the uh, the current format of uh, business model of internet companies is, is kind of fucked up. And, um, but, and, and in order to change that, how do we even change that? We have to reveal the whole thing. And I think uh, Bitcoin provides an option to that, an opportunity for, for, for us to do that. Um, but the question is, um, a, a more practical question to answer is that, what is the role that Bitcoin is going to play relative to all these shit coins, right? Um, so I think uh, a while ago, Matt Corrado said something uh, that, that really stuck with me is that uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum are playing completely different functions. They're not comparable, right? I think that that struck a nerve for, for a lot of people, but I think he, he made a very good point. And I realized, oh, Ethereum is actually really competing with these cloud providers. And all these st- these layer one chains are that, that uh, offer... Um, uh, better and better smart contract executions are just competing with cloud providers, but whereas, you know, Bitcoin is Bitcoin. Um, so the question for Bitcoin is, is Bitcoin going to stay in this role? Is, is it just going to be hard uh, money, which, which is fine, right? Uh, uh, and, and it's still a very, very important role to play uh, because it's the introduction to the, uh, sorry, the digital civilization. And is the cloud provide, uh, provider role just going to be played by all these other uh, more specific um, implementations, or is is Lightning Plus DLC going to carve a path for Bitcoin to play that role as well? Um, but the question to 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 ask is one: is does Bitcoin need that? And two: even if Bitcoin does that, is it going to be better necessarily better than um, well, better in the sense that fulfills very specific uh, purpose? Yeah, I would argue it has to, especially if you want to preserve the 21 million hard cap. So that's as miners uh, thinking about the dwindling subsidy over time. The big question up to this point is like, hey, is a fee market going to develop? 
And so I've talked about this a lot. And I, I think for a fee market to develop, you have to build the utility on second, third layers that drive demand for the underlying commodity, which at the end of the day is a UTXO, right? And so UTXOs power those second layers that provide utility comparable to the automobile and airline industry that if Bitcoin wants to remain a sound money, I, I would argue these second and third layers need to develop to drive demand to continue to entice uh, miners to to plug in machines and outlay capital to invest in this network. Some people argue just number go up, price appreciating infinitely is enough. Uh, what what are your thoughts on this? And he's back. I am back. That was quick. It was less than a minute and a half. It was very quick. Um. Yeah, where were we? So I guess we were at, do you think Bitcoin's long-term survival depends on second layer solutions driving demand for UTXO uh, usage, which would then drive a fee market? Or do you think price appreciation alone could sustain a, a fee market that would be sufficient enough not to raise the 21 million cap? Yeah, so I think price increasing, first of all, it's it's a, uh, it's not something that you can you can bet your more house and mortgage and your like, rest of your life on. Right? And I, I think I think price increasing is a great narrative. It's a great story for uh, onboarding people to 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 this world, right? I, I think uh, the way I imagine this, um, and, and at a risk of sounding a little bit um, too fantastical, I think this is a process of onboarding people to. A new type of digital civilization that's not owned by uh, feudal boards such as uh, Google or Facebook, and I, I think the, people give them a lot of shit, right? Companies like that, um, but I think what they've done is uh, they pioneered the, the they, they built the first step in digital civilizations. They carved out this space and uh, created their own version of village in uh, in this place. But now we're we we all we're all here. And we realize uh, this is getting a little crowded, and we don't really like how this village has been managed. Um, and we want to, you know, explore the rest of digital civilizations and and um, how we can uh, create different types of interactions and different types of uh, coexistence in this world. Um, so I think price increase is the simplest and, and most direct way of attracting people to come to play here. But I don't think it's enough to sustain because if that alone is what makes it this interesting that people are always going to go back, right? Uh, and this trend is reversible. What is going to sustain it is that once you come here, you realize there's all sort of things that you can play with this uh, tool. So to, to answer the, the first question that uh, we were discussing earlier, yes, I absolutely think that there needs to be um, utility, that, that we have to use this for something. And the simplest way to do it is to build, uh, to have it support uh, digital native commerce. And um, at this point, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, a, it's beyond my imagination what they are going to look like uh, at full scale, but I think it, it's fine. I think people always come up with really surprising and really cool shit. Um, but the question is, in the near term, what is the most uh, likely path, right? So we see all these uh, um, uh, shit coins that, that they cut corners um, and they 
try to do specific purpose really well by compromising certain other elements. Sure, but um, is that going to look like forever? I don't know. Yeah, I would argue there's an order of operations to this. I think uh, you need you need that number go up narrative to draw people in, like you said. Uh, you need the hyper focus on uh, making sure that Bitcoin does a few things and a few few things very well, while limiting the attacks attack surface as much as possible. Uh, thinking about potential attacks that could happen decades from now, right now, and preparing for that, uh, and then methodically building out second, eventually third layers that drive the utility once enough uh, mindshare, liquidity, value has been poured into the network. And me personally, I'm 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 sort of uh, very okay, uh, actually, uh, probably. Uh, I think Bitcoin is beyond where I thought my expectations of where it would be from a technological standpoint uh, three years ago. Um, I think it's pacing well. With that said, we just had the last halving. Subsidies only 6.25 Bitcoin. 18 and a half, more than 18.5 million Bitcoin have been distributed to the market already. Um, so that the it feels like there is definitely beginning to be more of a sense of urgency to to bring these utility driven technologies to the market uh i don't want to put a timeline on it but like within this epoch i would imagine yeah so what do you think about that what do you think of um i mean obviously i, I think we uh we share the enthusiasm for for dlc uh we share the enthusiasm for lining um, but it's, it's also clear that, uh, both have a lot of, uh, problems at, at this point and, um, um, and, 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 you know, knowing how these things develop, I'm sure a time will solve that. Uh, the question is, you know, always how long it's going to take. And, and the, the big thing is comparing to, uh, some of the shit coins that are able to just grab people's attention very quickly the incentive to work on these things tend to be a lot slower, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it's just a, a, a characteristic. Yes. And I would apply the gradually then suddenly heuristic to this, right? And then, so starting with the shit coins, that proposition first, like I agree, it is obvious that it is, uh, it's exciting to a degree where you're experimenting with quote-unquote cryptocurrency technology in ways that Bitcoin has not and will not at this point in time. And so that draws people in. But just observationally, the way I see it, it's, it's, it's always an ephemeral craze. You have ICOs, uh, you have DAOs, DeFi, yield farming, whatever the narrative is, seems to change from any given week, week to week. And that's not to say that those can't be successful in the long run. I just don't think... Uh, the focus is there to actually hunker down and, and, and put in the man hours and the sweat hours to actually make sure that they succeed. It's what's, what's hot, what's, what's really hot at any point in time. And that area of the cryptocurrency world specifically, whereas Bitcoin, I think, again, going back to the order of operations, I think Bitcoin engineers and 
becoming more and more obvious lightning engineers are are realizing this is hey this is gonna this is a big lift it's gonna take years we're just gonna do the grunt work uh the grunt work's been done for uh eleven years and nine months on the bitcoin protocol level and less than what less than three years now for for lightning and um january twenty eighteen gr- i think yeah yeah so yeah just a little less than three years and I think that gradually and suddenly like the methodical build out and uh, efficiency tweaks to both layers is gonna, we're gonna wake up one day and be like, holy shit, this shit just works and it has utility. And I think lightning specifically, it really, so I had Yost uh, Yager on, the uh, developer who, uh, the lightning network developer who highlighted the uh, griefing attack that could be waged against channels and, and proposed the circuit breaker solution mm. and a lot of people jumped on that thread that he posted a couple of weeks ago especially ethereans like ah lightning screwed uh this developer's coming out and admitting it and you talk i talked to him today and he's like this is going to be huge like uh, we're just we're just identifying pain points right now and smoothing over them um so i am confident but cautiously confident because again who knows? Like, I'm not a developer either, so I'm just trusting other people. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I think if Bitcoin were to be successful in going that direction, it's definitely going to be uh, piggyback on Lightning. I think that that part is very clear. I'm less excited about federated chains, you know, site chains. I'm less excited about those. I think I think sure they they uh, play some kind of role, but. Um, uh, I guess I'm just also not knowledgeable enough about that, and just not interested enough about that. Um, no, they don't. They don't excite me at all, yeah. really. Yeah, same. Um, I think I think RGB is 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 interesting, but at the same time, I think there's some uh, there's some problems with it. Um, I don't know. I think I think it's going to take take some time. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it earlier. I just think Lightning is a distributed API like protocol that allows you to interact with the web and could potentially be used as something uh, akin to a authentication token on the web and using something like LNURL auth or LSAT uh, to be your digital passport, if you will, um, alone could be utility in a, a shift in the interaction that individuals have with the internet that uh, is that order of magnitude improvement uh, from a UX perspective, when it's all fleshed out, that could drive that utility. And that's just one use case. We're not even talking about gaming, micropayments, streaming payments, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if um, if we were to uh, take you know data ownership of, uh, um, from the the existing tech giants, uh, I think this it seems like this is the this is the bad path forward. That's the other thing. Going back to this is a hardware revolution just as much as it is a software revolution. Like I think, again, Bitcoin is far and beyond any other protocol where I have a node running around on the other side of this wall that controls um, controls a lot of the Bitcoin functions that I do on a day-to-day basis, whether it be for my business, um, personal life. And uh, there is something about knowing that you control these aspects of your of your life that 
is a peace of mind improvement at least. Um, obviously there's stress with it, but if you have confidence in your backups and your, um, and your, your, uh, ability to, uh, not lose your funds, like, uh, it is a material improvement in peace of mind. Yeah. I think, uh, just looking at how, how certain technology evolved over time, um, the, 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 the common, the common, uh, characteristic here is that you know when when something is still when the toolkits are still very primitive right we it's much easier for humans to come together and work as a group to uh let the collective interest the common interest of the group to dictate the direction of this group and we start to okay specify all right you do this uh the he does that and and that's going to be the role that you start with and if you want to challenge that sure but there's you know different groups that start develop um different processes for for this right some are more democratic some are more authoritarian some are more based on personality of the certain individuals in the group and but as we develop more uh, and better and better toolkits that help us uh, uh, you know perform certain functions the distance between the these humans within this group doesn't have to be that close right you don't have to go out and hunt together it's uh, it's it has changed um and i think it just go back to something that was said um almost at the beginning of this uh call uh sorry podcast um that these mining machines is, are they are physical options right but in traditional option the traditional options that your ability to exercise that uh and your ability to actually get the underlying is protected by um, you know, the, the regulator of that jurisdiction, right? These, um, you, you, if you fail to deliver, right, some, some authority is going to come down and whoop your ass. Um, but with this, the ability for you to execute, exercise these options and receive, uh, what's being promised by these op op um, options are, is guaranteed by these, by the protocol, by these little physical boxes, right? So you're responsible for these true boxes and they're, 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 you know, responsible for your uh, well-being. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and like, it's funny because the the term your your options are underwater is is literal now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I it's, uh, uh, the the Cambridge report that just came out. Uh, I think it suggested uh, about still about sixty two percent, some something in that neighborhood of the uh, power source is still hydro, right? Uh, which I, I, you know, I, I don't really have an opinion about that, but um, that seems like it's, it's still going to be the uh, trend for a while. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, what you guys are doing is, is pretty exciting. Um, in the beginning, I was definitely a little bit, the first time I heard about it, it was definitely a little bit skeptical. I was thinking about you know, how, how is this shit ever going to scale? Because um, it seems like there's a lot of uh, engineering problems that you have to solve at the site. Um, but I'm seeing more and more examples of this and sort of learning more about this and I realize, oh, shit, this can be um, a very attractive way to 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 uh, to to do this. Yeah, I mean, that's why we've been in like a quasi stealth mode is because we didn't want to go out and, and sort of tout what we're doing until we knew that we could do it at scale. And still, we have to prove that we can do it at scale. We're still relatively small compared to other operators around the world, but we're pretty confident. And again, going back to the ability to control these containers remotely, which you described earlier, is, is imperative. Like if you you're not going to be able to get on site and control 
what's going on, especially when you consider that you're dropping containers off all across North America. Uh, on top of that, you need to design these containers to spec. Uh, dropping an oil field in North Dakota versus dropping it in an oil field of West Texas demands completely different design specifications and airflow. Well, you don't even need you don't even use airflow in in Texas. You need to immerse this stuff and uh, talk about the cooling uh, liquid flow and uh, there's many variables that come into it and it's fun. It's a fun problem to attack again. Keep coming back to that, but imagine if, if we're successful, not only us, like other operators doing something similar to us, the, the compounding positive externalities are, again, we can't fathom them right now. Uh, not only for the Bitcoin network, but for society at large. Yeah, I mean, uh, oil gas industry has an opportunity to to um, to repurpose and to extend its life significantly. I mean, it's yeah, it's a peaceful revolution, I think. Because I, I th right? yeah, I think a lot of the the struggle, right? Um, uh, the the class warfare is uh, derivative of you know how the fun the the fund the foundational industry is right. Who who controls the the the, the purse? Um, and, and I think the whoever controls the purse right now is going to do everything they can to stop the next person from taking their purse. So, so if the current people who are controlling the purse can gradually transition to, uh, you know, the next phase in a, in a relatively bloodless way, uh, that's great. You know, that's good for everybody. That's good. Yeah. Let's hope we can do it. It's not a foregone conclusion yeah. yet. Sure. <laughs> I, I guess that's, that's a good question for you. Like, do you, what are your, do you believe there's a chance that Bitcoin fails uh, spectacularly? I mean, there's always a chance for Bitcoin to fail, but, um, but let's, let's be a little bit more specific here. So wh how, what are the scenarios that Bitcoin fails, right? Uh, one is that all of a sudden we, we collectively lose face in this thing and just decide to, that this thing worth, worth uh, zero. And we're going to everyone, everyone's selling this or everyone, uh, uh, even worse, everyone ignore this. Um, I think there is just by looking at the example of some of the uh, even like much shittier coins such as BitConnect and uh, even Yam, right? Yam was still trading at non-zero after the uh, <laughs> the I don't even remember what, did, what happened. Did BitConnect even have a blockchain? Was it even legitimately a blockchain? I don't know, man. Like <laughs> they, they had a guy. They had a they had this guy Carlos. Uh, he BitConnect. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder what what's uh, what's up with him. I, I really like that guy. I think he's chilling. I think he's chilling in the Bronx still. I'm pretty sure that's where he's from. And he's chilling. Oh man, that's uh, that's not the best place to be right now. You know, because no. um, yeah, Trump just just uh, decided that uh, these these areas are anarchy uh, states. Anar yeah, New York New York City is an anarchist jurisdiction. I know. I'm I'm in the middle of uh, anarchist uh, jurisdiction. I think this is a crypto libertarian wet dream. Yes, yeah. uh, freaks. Just to let you know, Leo and I were hoping to do this episode much earlier and in person. Uh, we were both in New York. Some of my, uh, some of my, one of my favorite New York drinking buddies. We'll meet at the Spring Lounge, uh, throw back some account fifteen, talk about Bitcoin. Uh, I was hoping we were going to be able to do this in person, but I couldn't wait until I'm back in New York. Had to had to make it happen here. But with that being said, uh, we will definitely hopefully do this again in person at some time not ending the podcast either just had to do a little diversion there yeah i mean so much has changed since uh, our last conversation i mean i i started my own company i'm married now i have a dog and you're 
a dad now. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, life comes at you fast, yeah. man. Comes at you real fast, yeah. and it's uh. But it, it, that's the other thing. Like, it, it makes it even more fun too when you bring. Uh, it feels like there's more on the line now, and you're actually building this out. For, that's a, so I guess that could be a topic we can transition to now. Like, are we? I mean, we are a stepping stone generation. If Bitcoin is to be successful in the long term, you're the first generation to be exposed to this. What is our role? Like, are we simply setting up? a base so that generations uh after us can can build on this like what is our role with bitcoin as a transitionary generation uh for a protocol that i would argue should be around for at least a century if not multiple centuries yeah so 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 i used to think about that question um and and that sort of tortured me to, to to some extent and and i just decided that that my role is going to the number one priority is protect my family and number two is just to stay healthy and happy and third is to the best of my ability don't do bad shit. <laughs> right. yeah and i think you know collectively if if the majority of people hold these principles uh the thing is going to unfold in a nice way yeah so majority of people within bitcoin holding these principles like if they have those priorities themselves or just in life in general just in life in general but i mean it's it's a uh it's you know macro trends they also go in cycles people are um but that that's a much much bigger topic <laughs> um but we can dive in. Are we going fourth turning here? Are we talking 500 year super cycle? Wait, is this the first podcast uh since the 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 election debate that you've done? Uh I dropped a podcast this morning, but that was recorded before the debate. Mm. This is the first podcast after the debate uh, from a recording perspective. That was something, huh? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, dude. Yeah. So I so I was I was forced to watch it. I didn't want to watch it. Um, but Bitcoin Magazine reached out. I was like, do you want to do a post-debate like panel? And, Sorry, Bitcoin Magazine, but looking back and regret it, I just wish I didn't have to watch a debate. Uh wrote about it in the newsletter today it's it's sad that this is pretty sad, what we yeah. have to deal with yeah 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 I, I mean so it's also like a very interesting experience for me because um you know I, i'm not american right i i i i grew up in china and i spent the first 19 years in uh china and but i spent my formative years in uh at stanford um, and for the first four years of my, my, my uh, I guess, initiation to American culture, I never paid the slightest attention to American politics or world politics in general. And, um, and Stanford was definitely a bubble, and I think it still is a bubble. And, and it has a very specific way of framing how things uh, should work. And, and, you know, as a 20-year-old, it's very easy to subscribe to that. And, um, but... You know, it's it's uh, you know China is very different, right? It's 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 a it has very different culture, very different uh, value system, and and I brought that uh, with me. And there's definitely like things that I'm just like, all right, I, I think these uh, uh, these folks are a little bit dramatic. The the left wing, uh, like you should do this, you should say this, you should believe in this, folks. 
I, the woke capitalists. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I definitely thought they were a little, a little bit dramatic, and and but um, but there's you know I thought all right, this is just uh, the environment I'm in right now, so I, I, I then sure cool, um, and you know after four years at Stanford, my next destination was New York City, uh, was was uh, Morgan Stanley, and, and that, that was also a very much a bubble, but um, and and just I, I don't think I'm I'm an objective outside observer of this election because I've lived here for 10 years now and, and uh, my thinking has been very much framed by the you know experience of past 10 years but I'm still I'm, I'm a little sad about this you know it's 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 a uh... well you've, you've been here for a very uh, very interesting 10-year period to be in the United States yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> post 2008 no I wrote about it today so yeah let's jump into it like uh... Like you can only pinpoint like huge historical events in retrospect. Like the historians are going to pinpoint when the American Empire, as we knew it, fell to a certain extent. And I think, especially after watching last night's debate, that it ha- happened at some point in the last ten years. And historians, decades from now, will say, "Hey, it was obvious." I bet they'll point to Fed policy uh, and the. the the growing divergence uh, between the left and the right from a political perspective uh, got to a point of no turning back where everybody sort of dug their feet in the ground and said, Hey, here's my hyperpolarized line in the sand that I'm not going to cross. And the other side did the same exact thing. Uh, And it is, that's why like working on Bitcoin and then, tuning in to like the debate is like, why are we even paying attention to this? And alternatively too, like, so I'd love to get your perspective, like having grown up in China and obviously uh, there's a huge anti Chinese communist party uh, theme in America. Like what, what do you think of that uh, living in America, growing up in China uh, with this, this confrontation of the superpowers at this given point in time? It's it's definitely a little bit strange because uh, because I feel like I, I have nothing to do with all that right <laughs> and I, I'm just this person um, and, um, and and I and frankly speaking I think a lot of people who are in uh, similar to my position and there are a lot of people in uh, in my uh, similar to my position um, whether you know Chinese kids who's who study America or or Americans who went to China for business right I think I think they they are just uh, caught in the middle of this, that that decisions that made by bigger men who have a completely nothing to do with their lives, right? I think, um, and I think to some extent that even strengthened my uh, my my love for 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 Bitcoin in, in a system like this. I know that people say shit like, "Oh, Bitcoins fix this," and I know, "No, oh, Bitcoin doesn't fix this." But <laughs> but but it, it, it does when you're out of options. It, it it does seem like something nice to grasp on. And um and e- even though uh, I have to admit, when I first participated in this uh, ecosystem, the the primary drive was to get rich, right? And, but, um, but very slowly, it, it does, it does uh, get to you. It does start to make you realize, oh shit, everything else is so 
terribly designed, or at least it, it was so negligent. The, the people who are in power are so negligent that let this uh, you know situation turn into this place in the first place. Um, so then then you start look at oh, there is an alternative. <laughs> I, I I don't I definitely not not idealistic enough to think that okay uh tomorrow we wake up and bitcoin is going to replace everything i know there's significant amount of work that needs to be done and um i recognize how early we are in um the stage of transition but but i think it, it's something that gives hope it's something that gives uh, meaning to lives of small people uh like me yeah i mean completely agree that, that's Sadly, my political leanings can be best described as like I hate authority and the fact that they fuck things up for the little guy like you and me, and I just want them to get out of the way. And there's been no better technology that doesn't let them get in the way, let alone get them out of the way than Bitcoin. And that's so for me as an American uh, observing Bitcoin evolve. It's always been fascinating to me that, in my opinion, earnestly believe this, the strongest entrepreneurs in the Bitcoin industry or in the Bitcoin world, whatever you want to refer to it as, to date have been uh, entrepreneurs in the Chinese mining industry specifically, like innovating at the hardware level, at the pool level, and actually taking the risk to buy all the stuff, plug it in and amass a crazy amount of hash rate in the process. And it seems a bit ironic to me considering uh, everything I've learned about the Chinese Communist Party up to this given point in time seems like a, a contradiction almost, right? Yeah. So I think, first of all, it's a very specific type of uh, people. And I think, um, and, and, and one thing that uh, that 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 needs to be established here is that you know China is a huge country, and yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's there's a lot of people and and uh, you know just looking from the opposite side of the globe, it's very easy to characterize it as uh, this one single image. Um, but you know it, it's like every city is different. Very this you know even in, even in my hometown, you drive for another thirty minutes. The dialect is very different. So, mm -hmm. uh, and the type of food they eat is very different. Still very good, very spicy, but but different. Um, but but that my point is, I love spicy. <laughs> yeah, but my my point is it's um, it's the the way to frame another culture as just this homogenous single uh, zero one that only favors the people who are in control. They either want to break into this market, own this market, or they want to withdraw from this market, right? They, um, and, and, you know, it's not just the West who's doing this, you know, the Chinese mainstream media is also characterizing the West in a specific way or the Japan in specific ways that I grew up uh, believing in, in, and um, it wasn't really on, until I start to know things did I know things, right? Um, to put it subtly, but, but um, I, what I like to, and, and, and there was definitely a period of time that I get pretty upset by, you know, these kind of things and people's accusation of, oh, your government is doing this and that, and it's your fault to some extent. I'm like, fuck you, man. And, no. um, and, and, and what I think is, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to, um, to correct this kind of bias, and, and it's really not my job to, to correct this kind of bias. 
And, you know, back to something we said earlier, my primary function is, you know, protect my family. Um, and my family is, 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 uh, is a Chinese man, an American woman, and uh, a Japanese dog. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and, and, and all I ask is, you know, I just want to, you know, see my parents once a while and, and go visit home once a while. And at the same time, uh, I just want to interact with whoever I want. I want to do business with whoever I want. I want to uh, advance the digital civilization in direction that I think is healthy for everybody. And I think I don't really want to play those people's games, right? I don't really want to be part of their agenda. Um, I think it's inevitable that we get caught in it because you know there's only so much power that we have. If they say, "Oh, ban WeChat," all right, I talk to my parents on Signal. <laughs> so, so it, it's um, um, I, I it's a long wind way of saying. Uh, I, I do believe in Bitcoin ethos and I, I do believe in uh, what Bitcoins can do to bridge different uh, cultures and civilizations together, especially in times like this. Yeah. No, it, it, it becomes so glaringly obvious because Bitcoin, particularly mining, demands that these different individuals in these different jurisdictions cooperate. Yeah. And both in... And both sides of the cooperation like want to work with each other and there's something like so for us here at great american mining we don't like the tariff at all like it's it's an inconvenience it's uh makes our operations more expensive unless we can route around it and it's uh it's it's like hey we counter we have counterparts on the other side of the world that are engaged in uh, a mutually beneficial uh, transaction to better the Bitcoin network and by result better our personal lives by building a productive business and there's people who want to micromanage individuals get in the way and it pisses me off it, like it's get visceral again going back to the fact that I hate authority and that uh, the uh, the ability to just think for yourself and interact with who you want to interact with, especially in the digital age is hindered by a bunch of frankly old people who don't even understand the digital world to begin with. Yeah. I mean, it's very clear that micro BT also wants to, even Bitmain wants to do business in America, right? Like they, they, um, hence, uh, building a simpler line here, I think for individual, uh, for individuals and individual companies, right. The, these big terms, these, big geopolitical tension, these headlines, you know, it's nothing more than just the color of their passport. It's, it's a, such a big, vague concept and, and, um, and, and it's starting to influence our lives in some way. Okay. But, but at the end of the day, um, I, I think the nature of this very conflict, right. It, it, obviously it has many factors that to it, but a group of people in the past 10 years have made a lot of money from, a very nice cooperation between these two regimes and and, and the uh, these two markets, and now they want to renegotiate the terms because something has changed. So they don't let anyone else, who uh, the younger generation, such as us, to uh, you know participate in these markets anymore. Like so, right? Then then we have a new one. We'll have a new one that's not necessarily res uh, uh, restrained by. Um, uh, 
the physical restraints that that they impose. I mean, still, it, they they are, and and I definitely don't, you know, um, I I think you know regulators exist for uh, a purpose, and generally that purpose is good to fight crimes and all that. I I I sure I subscribe to that. But the purpose is good, but the execution is shit. Yeah, the, there's friction, right? There's there's friction to to that execution. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is the purpose even good though? In theory, yes. Is for sure. In theory, in yes. Theory, yes. But in practice, like the regulatory regimes that are erected to protect the individual from terrorism, drugs, sex trafficking. They wind up enabling it at the end of the day. It's such bullshit. Yeah, but I will say this though. I I think um, just from my experience with traveling, I do think Americans are a little despoiled. By... <laughs> and... I wrote about it today. We're we we're gotten complacent. We're gluttonous. We're uh, very proud. We're very proud when we probably shouldn't be. Like like especially today in the state. Like if you're. Just looking at the country objectively and the state of the finances of the average man, the health of the average man, uh, the mental health of the average man, the the ability to cooperate seems like it's deteriorating in real time. Like anybody who's screaming that America is uh, the beacon of light in the world right now, I think is completely uh, misguided or is not able to see uh, what's actually going on. And that's not to say that America can't be that in the future. I, I think we certainly can. I think Bitcoin will play a part in that. But we had to first be like, hey, like things aren't good. Like 50% of the country being diabetic, uh, literacy rates falling, uh, suicide rates going up, alcohol addiction going up, drug addiction going up. These are some KPIs that people just gloss over and yet they still like to pound the chest of America's grace. And I'm one of those. I think America is great as an idea. The implementation and the execution of that idea is not where I think it should be um, personally. Have you read this uh, series or heard of this series called uh, The Decline and Fall of Roman Empire? I've heard of it. I've not read it yet. Uh, so I read in high school. I, I didn't really understand that at that time, but um, I just, but anyways, but, but it's, uh, the, it's, but one thing that stuck with me is that every complex thing that overextends itself is going to shrink. Um, I think, and, and, and I think there are a lot of, you know, much smarter people than, than, uh, than me have, have uh, made these observations about, you know, the current state of America, especially being filled by um, this much convenient communication technology that, that so, sort of serve as double-edged sword um, you know, a lot of the emotions that are supposed to be contained to just, you know, one single individual have, are, are, they propagate at much larger, a larger magnitude. And as a result, you know, through, uh, uh, you know, Facebook, TikTok, or Twitter, uh, anger or frustration or, 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 or um, some, you know, negative energies, they, they, they get spread at very, much easier compared to back in the days when you have to write a letter to somebody. <laughs> um, and, and I think that, that that changes the very fabric of how society gets uh, structured and how they manage this kind of collective uh, swings of emotions. I don't really know 
how this is going to end and 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 it definitely troubles troubles me sometimes to think about all right how am i going to raise uh my five kids um which i haven't discussed with my wife yet that does <laughs> I'm pushing for five too. I'm getting some pushback, but I think I'll be a success. Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> um, uh, in in you know a world of TikTok, right, where you know soft porn is just bit, uh, transmitted much easier. Um, I, I don't know, but again, you know, every generation faces this kind of problem. I'm sure when newspaper first came out, those the the <laughs> they were like, all right, how are kids going to grow up with so much news? Um, yeah, but is, are the problems compounded by orders of magnitude as the technology grows at that pace too? Like TikTok, Twitter. I mean, let's go Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Uh, yeah, they're really skewing incentives uh, for individuals to 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 exert and uh, exude fake virtue at the end or to exude a certain virtue whether it be hey i look hot as shit and this is what people like or um i'm a woke capitalist this is how you need to treat other people or um how you view other people i don't know what i'm trying to get like there's something i'm trying to get out here i can't articulate it as well as i'd like to but there's that that push and pull and so i guess what i'm trying to get out here is is a question is is there going to be like an all out cultural rule cultural uh war uh over values like what do we value as society moving into the digital age do we want this uh degenerate hedonistic culture driven by clicks and likes uh incentivizing certain actions i think tiktok makes people do weird things uh definitely makes people do very creative things but uh, there was a tiktok craze a couple of weeks ago with dudes were seeing how many hot dogs they could like fit in their mouth i was like why why are you doing that sounds this? like bitcoin cash right. uh, or <laughs> right. is that is it productive but but then how, it, how also big is my digi- block yeah but then also the digital age provided bitcoin where individuals like you and my myself and not to say that it's hard to sit here and be like yeah what we're doing is more worthwhile than the tiktokers of the world but i i, I would argue we probably believe that and uh, the digital world has presented that opportunity too to focus on this type of future, and I guess the point I'm trying to get here is the tension of those two. Uh, I guess it's a difference of time preference, right? Like Bitcoin demands very low time preference patience, where TikTok, and I'm guilty of it on Twitter. The the, the like retweet chasing on Twitter is very high time preference. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I'm just putting this out there. Yeah, so I think the the double-edged sword of these kind of communication technology that brings us uh, closer is inevitably that assimilates us, right? So it's like a group of a school of fish or a school of you know germs that tend to live very close to each other. Is that when when we start to bounce off expectation of each other in such a close distance, then we start to uh, inevitably start to wear uh, these uh, shells more often, especially for younger and younger generation, because these shells are what what really what they really are is just um, a mirror of what we hope that others perceive us. But whereas when these when when these uh, communication tools are less uh, efficient, uh, obviously you talk to your loved ones much less frequently, but you have a lot of time to keep to yourself. You have a lot of times to reflect on your inner uh, world and develop your spirituality 
um, with the lack of a better, better world. But but now with um, the distance so close, when these uh, the frequency of these reflections so high, that you are constantly shaping your self according to others' expectations. And I think that's what um, that 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 makes the next generation so different from our generation and us from so different from our previous generation. Well, I think it's a very good point. And I, I guess part of what I was trying to articulate there is will uh, individuals try to cater to what others think about them or recognize that they're being manipulated to cater to that type of interaction and uh, exert some self-restraint to look within and control uh, yourself and your image of yourself and not let others dictate that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you, you've paid attention to this, but recently there's a NFT craze. Um, I mean, NFT has, has happened several times on Ethereum, uh, but there's a recent hey, craze. Hey, start on Bitcoin, rare pepes, all right? <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, but recently, the, the most, I'm talking about the most recent NFT uh, craze is just a, What's being made popular are just uh, you know these people who uh, sell thirst traps. I mean, I thirst traps <laughs> and I mean I, I don't know how to comment on that, but um, and I, I mean I don't blame them for uh, doing that, but it's the I don't know, man. I, I, I have very mixed feelings about that. I, I have very strong feelings <laughs> about it. I think I think it's low level. It's low effort, low level. And again, I guess it goes back to the Eleanor. It's attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt, but I think Aristotle may have actually uh, actually originated the phrase. And again, I don't want to sound like a pompous asshole uh, pontificating, thinking that I am virtuous because of what I'm uh, focusing on. It's going to come off that way, but whatever. Uh Small minds talk about people. Uh, average minds talk about events. Great minds talk about ideas. When you talk about thirst traps, it's like, what's the idea of it? Is there an idea behind a thirst trap? Is it it's just purely instinctual uh, viewing people as objects? And uh, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason or particular uh, thought seed that thirst traps are trying to plant in people's heads. No ideas that are trying to be implanted other than do you want to fuck me? And will you give me engagement? And will I make money from that? Yeah, it's a mind hack. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a way to grasp uh, attention in you know, the, the the fastest way. But at the same time, you know, you, you pay a cost, right? You pay you pay a price for that. So at the end of the day, you know, if people are for some reason happy uh, with their choices, then um, it's their choice. But, but that's good. I guess that's the other question we have to answer: Are most of these people genuinely happy? Um, and I think the data would show that no increased use of social media is actually driving depression rates higher and, and self-harm rates higher, particularly in younger generations, particularly in women who are younger, which is scary. Um, it, I think if you look at the data objectively, it's not leading to a, a better quality of life. Uh, the quality of life you see in the Instagram picture is not... Uh, what, what's happening in reality most of the time. I think that is coming coming to light. Yeah, and so I see a huge uh, appeal 
um, to you know the practice of Zen, especially in the modern age, right? Because I, I think a lot of that has to do with a relentless focus on uh, reality of what's real, just cutting cutting off the illusions. Um, and, and I think it's a very very difficult thing to do because because we're, we're constantly harassed by illusions and and uh, but I think making the conscious effort of uh, trying to battle that, trying to uh, to focus on anything but illusion is, or, or trying to uh, at least identify what's illusion, what's real, uh, is the first step. I think I think that the only way really to start with that journey is to build meaningful relationship with real human beings. Completely, agree. or an animal, with a, a puppy. That's, that also works. <laughs> <laughs> it works. A human being may be better, and that's why I think starting a family and your your focus on making sure you grow a nice healthy family is a good way to find that type of zen right because those are your family is the people that you're going to be most intimate with no matter what i mean they are your blood at the end of the day um yeah. developing strong healthy relationships with them in a healthy uh culture family culture is is important and it it is the the roots from which your interactions with individuals outside your family will, will emanate from, right? Yeah. I think that, um, the amazing thing with that is, is you start to realize that you're not really living uh, for yourself. And, and because when you're living just for yourself, all, all these uh, minor little problems, they tend to exaggerate, right? Your, your image, your, your, your hair. And, uh, if you're, you know, breath stinks and all these things, they, they became exaggerated. I mean, they are still important things, <laughs> but by the way, by the, by the way, freaks, Leo and I have not showered in over a day and a half. Oh, shit. <laughs> you have to tell them that <laughs> Leo was worried that we were going to be uh, video recording this because he hadn't shower. Uh, I won't say <laughs> the exact period of time, but I, 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 I let him know that I, I am right there with you. It's been, it's been over a day since I last showered too. It's been a while. Yes. But <laughs> we're busy men. We're busy men. Yeah. And, uh, oh, shit, what was I saying? Um, yeah. So, so once you start to realize, okay, you're not really living for yourself, you start to put your other people or not other people, but specific someone's life um, ahead of yours. And I think that's, um, it's a wonderful feel. It's a it's a it's a wonderful commitment and, and it's a uh, it gives meaning to to life. It does. Uh, it's been an incredible conversation. I don't want to end it here though. I do have a specific uh, mining hedge question for you because I've talked about this with Chris Bendix too. Difficulty futures. How do they work? How do you settle them? Do you settle them at? Difficulty retarget blocks specifically. Can you settle them in meet space time? Why would you even engage in them? Is it worthwhile engaging in them? Yeah. So, uh, so there are really two questions here. One is um, the, the 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 most important question is: Is the hatch going to be in the format of difficulty? Um, the answer is partly yes. So, uh, from pure theoretical level, uh, by structuring a difficulty hatch, which is the way that excuse me, um, FTX structure is to imply hash rate, right? So that does, if it works, fulfill the purpose of um, the other leg of, of the function. 
but the reality is that it's 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 not the right product to attract speculators, or it's not the right product to attract buyers. Um, so it, it, the logic is very clear for miners why miners want to sell it, but it's not clear for why speculators want to buy it. Unless because the the uh, the barrier is that it's very difficult for someone without insider information to miner mining supply chain to. Uh, have a good understanding of what's going to happen next uh, several months. So unless I'm talking to manufacturers all the time, or um, secondary markets all the time, it's I'm not confident enough to trade uh, the other side of this product at scale. So I think when designing a product like this, people need to be a little bit more creative. I think it needs to be um, it needs to start with, it needs to satisfy two purposes, right? One, it needs to be a perfect hedge for the miners. Uh, so that miners know, oh, if I participate in this market, I'm hedged. And on the other side for speculators, oh, this is interesting product for me to spend time speculating on versus some kind of uh, shitcoin on some other or perps on some other exchanges that I can actually make money off of this product um, without having to be friends with Jihan Wu, right? So that is the core, core, core of this question. And I don't have answer to how to design this product, but I have some vague ideas, which I'm not willing to share publicly. And, <laughs> but, um, but I think this is the most, most, this is precisely where the, if someone figures this out, then it's, this is the part where people are going to be, aha, you can you can do it like that and 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 that's a that's a very clever thing and the the nice thing about this is that it's not it's purely a design of a financial instrument so once the first person figures out the other person can copy instantaneously and it get, can become very popular so the first person who figures this out doesn't get um copyrights to it you know mm -hmm. but but to answer your question i think um I think simply by offering difficulty futures is, is, is not enough. It's not interesting to trade. And the second question, whether you can settle according to blocks or settle according to uh, meat space, I think as long as we're still interacting with uh, electricity providers who are uh, charging the bill on a monthly basis, I think the, uh, the thinking in uh, meat space terms uh, uh, is inevitable, but I do think that once these derivative instruments become fully synthetic, so let's say um, it, once it becomes sufficiently abstracted away from the physical components and start to just purely uh, exchange in uh, digital format. So, so two parties don't touch any physical things. I think in that world, uh, the digital clock, which is de determined by the tick of the blocks, is the right thing to um, to, to be the clock. So Ryan, uh, from um, uh, who used to work at Multicoin, uh, uh, Ryan Gentry, who, he he left, um, but he wrote a um, very interesting paper called "The Separation of Time and States," that talks about uh, that touched about the role of digital clock um, uh, briefly. And there was also an old paper called the, uh, I don't remember the title exactly again, uh, the time value, uh, sorry, time something something of proof of work, but basically compare proof of work to a time, uh, to a uh, uh, decentralized clock. Yeah, that was a- uh, Old paper. Yeah, it was a, 
Kabritsky or something like that. Uh, yeah, some guy whose name starts with G. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, we uh, yeah we talked about this in the episode with Crispin Dixon freaks if you remember that. But no, it just makes sense to me. Like how so? If you were to attempt to settle a difficulty future based off quarterly today we're recording this September thirtieth, like end of the quarter. Like we're between two difficulty adjustments. Like, do you go by what the difficulty adjustment is now, or there is some? There has since the last difficulty adjustment, there has been uh, a change in hash rate on the network, whether it be positive or negative. We'll find out in a few hundred blocks. But there is that that delta there between what it was at the last difficulty adjustment and what it will be. Uh, at the next adjustment, and can you calculate that accurately enough to give investors confidence enough to invest in a meat space settled difficulty future? I'm not so sure. Yeah, so if I were to design a product like this, um, I think it needs to drop the minor talk, right? It, it, obviously, first of all, it, on, on the because I the, the reason I think that needs that's necessary is because I think the logic for miner is very clear. It's much easier for miner to um, subscribe to this than for speculators to buy this. I think it needs to start with uh, the perspective of traders. It needs to start with perspective of funds who are trying to put a large position in looking for a discounted Bitcoin. So it's not a question of um, what is being sold. I, I think it's the question of how, what's the language here? Like what, how do you structure uh, this product in a way that the, the exposure is interesting enough for the buyer? Because it's going to be interesting for miners because miners are at a corner. Yeah. In a corner. Sorry. I'm not a native speaker. No, in a corner, but I'm just trying to think of how this changes the the dynamics of this type of contract. So we think of temporal time, the way we view it here in meat space versus the way time's viewed on the blockchain. It's really a mind fuck. And how do you yeah. How do you uh, how do you bridge the two, I, I, or do you even bridge the two, or just pick one over the other? Yeah. So I think what's what's cool here is um, uh, one uh, just to, just to follow up on your observation. I think we're at the threshold of uh, realizing that we're transitioning from a carbon-based life format to a digital, a silicon-based life format. Right? <laughs> so we're that and and uh, fueled several minutes ago, uh, your question of uh, what's the role of our generation, I guess. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving from, we're introducing carbon-based life form to a silicon-based life form. And, and we're introducing our carbon-based consciousness to a silicon-based consciousness. But in this process, but in this process, one most critical thing that we need to convert, um, similar to how we travel from uh, country to country, continent to continent, and we need to convert our currency, we need to convert our perception, our measure of time. And in digital civilization, block seems like is the most um, accepted format of taking of time because you know it has ground, it's rooted in physical reality, which is something we're all comfortable with as carbon-based life formats. And so when we travel from uh, this world to 
the digital civilization, okay, we start to accept that the block, the block height is the tick of time. And as we build more digital native commerce that's um, separated from the sovereign such as Facebook or Google, then we realize, okay, this is this is the, the this is the standard measure, right? This is the standard measure of this uh, physical reality. Sorry, by physical reality uh, in digital world. These are the rulers. These are these are the controllers of bandwidth. In the uh, it's scary though. Can the digital world subsist by itself without the physical world? Are humans going to be necessary? Or will there be a uh, disconnection? Because I think, like, I have my son, my seven-month-old son. I'm like, fuck, am I, like, throwing him into a world where he's just going to be obsoleted by silicon life forms? I think the digital world is not going to be interesting without human participation. I think the digital world is going is, is exactly as colorful, as creative, is fun to interact with exactly because of human. Because without human, that's, that's just the – it's all procedures. It's all processes. It's all step one, step three. It's all algorithms. Um, and I think the, the role of algorithms to a human is that they're always, 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 always going to be tools. And um, we, of course, sometimes they overpower us in, um, in the sense that they, they tell us what to look at, they tell us what to uh, click, but they're not interesting on their own. They're passive. Right they react to things that we construct, right? Like I think the AI, well, AI is constructing things now too, like GPT three. So that's like a whole, I was going to, I was going to focus in on go and how AI is becoming better at go and chess than humans, but it's perfecting things that we created. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing though, like winning a game of go means nothing, nothing to the, the robot sitting <laughs> on the next side, but it means a lot of things to the human sitting on uh, the opposite side. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a huge difference. That's a good point, right? The sense of accomplishment. The internal universe. Yeah. Fuck, man. Oh, I'm happy to know you. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, because that's, that's actually, you just gave me some peace of mind in the, the AI race. Seriously, like I haven't. It was conversation with Jeff Booth, uh, who wrote The Price of Tomorrow, and he, like, yeah, AI is going to replace everything. I'm like, why? Like, uh, I don't know if I want that world, especially having an infant and looking at uh, a human infant who is somewhat helpless and thinking that they're not going to have any autonomy over future decisions in their life. Scary thought. So, so here's you know. something interesting. Uh, so my dad is actually one of the, um, so my, my, my dad is a very accomplished computer scientist and he's, he's, uh, uh, he, he's one of the, the, the most important academics in uh, the Chinese artificial intelligence world. Uh, well, he started as a mathematician. He was a, he was a theorist and, and uh, he realized math couldn't really feed the family. So he uh, taught himself computer science and he got attracted to artificial intelligence. His perspective on all of these things, right? Um, all these like worry the, the, and, and outsiders who don't really understand how it works tend to worry about oh, AI taking over the world and all that stuff. Um, his perspective is always, all right, it's just, uh, it's just math. 
it, you know how the computation is, uh, you, you know the sequence of the computation and, and uh, uh, he's never for a moment uh, in my life of knowing him subscribed to the view that artificial intelligence can possibly replace human. You just think this is, that's kind of nonsense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if it's just math, it's always just there or just unlocking it to a certain extent. Yeah. And it's not really sophisticated math. It's, it's, uh, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of data um, using things that we already know. All right. I feel much better after this conversation for many reasons. Uh, we got cosmic tonight, Leo. Yeah, we didn't even suck. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. Wait until we do. What what kind of thoughts are going to come out of that? Oh boy, I don't think you want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of do. <laughs> I sort of really do. Um, but we'll have to save that for when we do it in person. Because uh, we're going to do one of these in person. Uh, what, no matter where we are in the world, I'll make it happen. Uh, and uh, yeah, dude, this has been infinitely fascinating. Again, freaks, if you haven't checked out Leo's work uh, at Anichia Research, particularly around the alchemy of hash power, you got to check it out. Uh, Leo, earnestly, you're one of the smartest minds I've met in this space, and I, I really. Uh, thank you for, for agreeing to come on and have this discussion. Anytime. I, I think we have to uh, do this in person, for sure. I mean, for, for uh, to be honest, I I, um, I mean, I, I don't want to insult the audience or anything, but, but uh, the, the reason I want to come out is I want to chat with you. I haven't spoken with you for, for a long time, and uh, you're my friend, right? Uh, and last time we had a conversation, we had a lot of fun. And I just, you know, I just want to have fun. Yeah, I hope this was yeah, fun. Of course, I hope it wasn't annoying. <laughs> um, are there any parting notes you want to leave the freaks? Anywhere we can find you? Anything you're working on? Anything we should be looking out for? I mean, I, th I think uh, Anisha Research is is a good place to start. Um, I I think there's a lot to learn about the hash power industry, and I think uh, mining is underappreciated, but at the same time, it's it's uh, it's very important, right? It's 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 a uh, it's going to be the foundation of a lot of things. And um, I myself is going to dedicate to uh, this, this community for foreseeable amount of time. Um, so yeah, I appreciate any attention, discussion, anything. Well, thank you again for coming on. It's always fucking incredible. And I can't wait till we smoke a joint and get uh, even more cosmic than we did tonight. Fine. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love.